0: Welcome to Val F.A. Stuttgart American, an American-based English language Val based Stuttgart fan podcast for user, are unofficial, uninformed, and usually unprepared. This is episode 79. Joining me this time is Matt. Matt, boy, um, this is the first time all season long that that acclaimed website 538 has predicted Stuttgart to get relegated. This has made me quite sad. How is that making you feel?
1: It makes me feel like Five Thirty Eight finally took a look at the table and decided to upgrade um, their Excel sheets. I went, oh yeah, we mm, no, 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 no.
0: All right, let's get into part one and some shout outs. So first off, Tip Spiel winner Stephen extends his lead over me. It's his fifth win of the season. He's up 258 points to 252 points. I don't know what that means, but he's ahead by six. Uh, Village footy crushed everybody in our OFC fantasy football. He's still in second behind Jens, but he dug into that lead a bit. Uh, No ballet bay bingo this week. My kid's rehearsal schedule is killing my lucrative podcast job. So (laughs) shame on them. Uh, Shout out to the international break players. Uh, Dino, Ido, Endo, Silas, Borna all played significant minutes for their group. Uh, pod prediction champion. Congratulations to me. I went eight and one last week. So I am only four wins behind you now, Matt. Are you feeling the heat a little bit?
1: I, I am. I thought that was the um, incoming Joshua Bengelman starts at, uh, <laughs> at right back for us. But it's no, it's Travis coming up on me to
0: take away my only joy in life joy does go down to texas so valve bay central texas congratulations they are now an official ofc uh, this makes three in the united states one based in cleveland one based in uh, austin texas and one based in omaha nebraska <laughs> matt any of those three destinations you waiting to uh, travel to
1: Not three cities, I think, are tops on uh, anybody's list of places to go, but I live outside of Detroit, so I don't have a whole lot of uh, (laughs) writing room here. Yeah,
0: there's glass houses around these parts. Yeah. (laughs) Valpe Frauen, ever since we started talking about them, they have not won a match, but they did get a draw, so congratulations to them. Uh, The OFC man of the match was Enzo Malo back-to-back. He only received two votes back-to-back which is something I guess. So apathy is starting to set in. So that's nice. We did get two votes for Derek Ray, two votes for Bruno. The one of those votes for was for a train to take him out of Stuttgart. Matt, have you ever uh, been on a train before? I have. Love trains. Big
1: fan. Um, the entire time that I was in Europe uh, about six years ago, traveling around by rail, I was angry um, that
0: we did not have adequate rail tra- rail travel here in the U.S., I'm from Ohio, and apparently the trains fall off the tracks every other weekend in this place. <laughs> so, which is actually pretty ironic because, Matt, have you ever seen a train wreck before? <laughs> because I feel like I've been watching one every weekend for uh, about a year now. That is a perfect segue. So, let's jump into part two. Let's talk about the game. Um, we were coming off that huge 2-0 friendly win over German giants Heidenheim. in who? <laughs> right. We scored an own goal and Anton scored a goal from distance to make it 2-0. So we should have been a little concerned going into Berlin simply because of that. They were third on the table. We were 18th. Let me rephrase that. We we and are 18th. We will be forever linked mm-hmm. together because they were able to get out of the second division against us. After 10 matches, we are now one win and six draws and three losses versus these guys. And our only win was in the second division in 2017. I know you don't have a lot of love for these somewhat gritty players from uh, Union Berlin. Were your expectations any different than mine in this one? We both predicted a, uh, Unyan win.
1: No, I I didn't didn't think we'd come out on top of this one. I did hope we'd show a little bit better. Um, there were moments where the team looked pretty good. I felt like uh most of the first half we did all right. But as Derek Gray said ominously <clears throat> while the, the teams were headed up the tunnel for halftime, this is what Unyan do. They lull you into a false sense of security and then punch you in the face in the second half. And what did they ever execute on that plan?
0: Oh, they, it was almost, yeah, executed to perfection where you thought, hey, we're playing pretty well with a little luck. We could actually be ahead in this one, but uh, sure enough, Union did what Union did and they did it quick in the second half. The, The biggest thing that I think most supporters were pretty excited about was when the lineup was first posted and the lineup was posted. And depending on what platform you looked at, there were like 17 different variations of how this crew was going to line up. I talked to a buddy of mine in Germany and I talked to the guys on the uh, Slack channel that we have on our OFC. None of us could agree on exactly what was happening because not only was Zagadu in and Borna was out because of a muscular issue. Silas was out because of a muscular issue. Um, but Anton was in, but Joshua Wagnerman was in who recently just got his first senior national team call-up in the friendly against Belgium. Uh, Enzo Malot was in. And so nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. Was Wagner going to play in his natural position? Was Anton going to play kind of in the central defensive mid, which he does have history doing? Was Enzo going, where was Enzo going to go? Because none of this really made much sense what were your thoughts on the lineup when you saw this and did you have any idea what you thought it was going to be versus what it turned out to be?
1: I thought for sure we'd see Vagerman at
0: right back and Anton
1: moved to Karazor's spot in the central defensive mid and then Enzo Malo up on the front line with Perea and Tomas. Um, I was shocked when the game started and I noticed that Anton was still playing right back. I don't know. It's almost like an assistant gave gave a list of names and said, "Here are the people I think should start, but didn't explicitly say where." And then Bruno just sort of threw like put them all on dice and threw them onto a soccer field looking mat, and wherever they landed is where people played. Like it doesn't
0: it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I love the fact that we had not just one, but three guys playing out of their natural position. We had Anton playing right back. We had Vagnamon playing kind of more of an attacking midfield role. And then Enzo Malo playing up front as three, one of our three attackers. I thought, this makes absolutely no sense to me because he's an attacking mid. And I guess if the formations are fluid, it could make sense. But I was like, as the game developed, it didn't make any sense. I was just... Yeah.
1: It, like, it. As you said, if the if the the formation was fluid and if they change, but I don't think the players um, know what Bruno wants well enough to be able to do that. I don't think they have practiced it. Um, and what ends up happening is what we saw on the field on Saturday, and everybody looks kind of confused and a little bit lost, except for a handful of guys who are playing in their normal spots. Freya looked fine up front for the entire first half. I, I thought he was dangerous. He was making some plays. That was fun. Endo was a rock in the central midfield, as he is a rock no matter where we put him. Um, everybody else kind of was a little bit... Even Mavropanos, like, he didn't have a good game. And I wonder how much of that was that he and Zagadou were playing as a central back pairing for the first time and are not used to playing with each other. And yeah. against a team that's as disciplined and dangerous as Union Berlin... That's a recipe for disaster.
0: It goes to that stability thing that we've been talking about for numerous podcasts is that yeah. there are certain things you can make changes to, like on the offensive end, but making a change to the defensive and just is screaming for a mistake to happen. And even though Zagadu seemed to play pretty well, he had his usual mistake, that turnover that almost led to a chance. Um, he wasn't able to uh, capitalize on any of the opportunities he had with headers. Mm-hmm. He didn't play terrible. I thought Ido played pretty well. It's just, I think you're right, is they're not as cohesive as you need them to be if you're going to try to play a lot of 0-0-1-1 type of matches. And going into the match, I think I finally figured out what Bruno's system is. <laughs> I loved it. We were just kicking long balls as far as we could kick them to three guys who stood in at 5-11, 5-11, and 5-9. And we were shocked that none of these guys could get control of the ball, hold up the ball, or do anything with the ball. The only time any of those long balls worked was when Redlow got a save, kicked it like crazy, there was a bit of a turnover, Juan Pereira got it, and there was a bit of a mix-up, turned out to be a handball and all that stuff. But I'm just like, I know Luca Fiver's not the guy, but doing long balls to everybody who's under six feet tall up there, I don't know. The system is just a disaster. Um, I don't even know if we want to talk about VAR, you know, my only thing with that when Juan Pereira's goal was called back, it hit him in the hand. I just don't know what a a handball is. I know it wasn't natural. I guess it was.
1: Yeah. And let's do discuss the the VAR thing just for a minute, because it's maybe the least depressing thing to talk about coming out of this game. (laughs) Um, Perea did a really good job putting the Union keeper under pressure. The guy flubbed a ball and Perea took advantage of it. The unfortunate thing is he kind of thought he was going to get kicked in the face and put his hands up and the keeper kicked the ball off of his arms, which were up in front of his face. And so we've seen this called sometimes in the box. If a defender does this, sometimes they'll say, Well, it was within his arms were within the silhouette of the body, so it doesn't matter. Or he wasn't actively trying to hit the ball down and his arms were in the silhouette, so it doesn't matter. Or they were in a natural position or, you know, whatever. There's all these excuses. And Derek Ray said it on the commentary, you know, he clearly wasn't going after the ball. He was trying to protect his face. Yeah, it shouldn't be a handball, right? Since we've seen it called that way repeatedly. At the same time, the goalie is getting ready to kick the ball. Emperor very clearly puts his arm up in front of his body and it very clearly glances off of his forearm. So if the rule is, if it hits your forearm, it's a handball, then it should be called. And that's, as you've been saying for a while now, we just don't know what the rule is and it's not called with any consistency. And that's the biggest thing that drives me nuts with officiating decisions is when they're wildly different from game to game, or even from moment to moment within a game.
0: There was a, match today the hoffenheim match where they ended up beating bremen which is awesome by the way thanks so much for that bremen Woo-hoo. yeah where ozon kabaq former uh Stuttgart player in the, the dying minutes of the match uh there was a shot from distance and his hand flew up and it wasn't right by his side but it wasn't intentional by any means the bremen player turned out to be offside so it didn't turn out to be a penalty kick or anything like that but it's just the inconsistency of it it just doesn't there, there's never, I know you can't always have black and white decisions here, but it's just, it's the gray area is so wide that if Derek Ray is like, yeah, maybe it could go in. I'm like, eh, I don't know if you can get much more of an authority, you know, than that there. The thing I do want to talk is it's, I'm going to take one of Bruno's ridiculous comments and try and turn this into a positive. So after the match, uh, We'll get into the post-match stuff in, in our next segment, but Labadia said, quote, nobody can claim that you didn't see a good team. Nobody sees anything positive, but only what is negative. So he was kind of lamenting how nobody's seen the positive nature. And it's like, uh, okay, Bruno. Yeah, you guys played well, but everybody who was watching that game knew that Union was just soaking up the pressure and was going to turn it on. And as soon as we had a mistake, you know, the floodgates opened up a bit. But I will say this is – when he put in the subs, Akulabali, Furich, and Jurassic in the 63rd minute, which by the way, I love the mass sub thing that he does. Yeah. He just throws everybody out there. He's like, all right, kitchen sink, let's do it. Uh, I'm a hockey guy. I love a line change. Yes, everybody's in. I, I, will, I did notice, and if our season is going to be saved, we've said it before, and I saw it on uh, Saturday, Sabu Jurassic is going to be the reason for the season. He yeah. came on, and there was an immediate difference in that uh play when we went down two nothing I wanted Bruno to pull him out because I was like he's got a muscle issue we're not gonna come back in this match I get right. you, you to have match practice but our entire season rests on this one guy and he came in he had a beautiful flick in the dying moments of the game that uh you know was was saved with a nice uh block by the uh one of the Una defenders but if he's healthy and he's good to go my level of optimism is super low but he looked really good when he was in there. So, any of those subs from Kula Mali, Furich, Jarasi, you know, strike up We saw Nardi again.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't have any problems with the subs, except for it kind of feels like um, throwing a dart at the dartboard full of names and whoever it happens to hit, that's who we're throwing out. Um, I I can't wrap my head around a cohesive strategy that Lavadi is going for. Um, we've talked about it before about panic moves. A lot of these feel like panic moves, like he's not quite sure what to do. So uh, we'll try this. We'll see what happens. And at least he's doing more of the attackers because we're not scoring. So, okay. But still, it's just, there's, I don't know. I I want to, to be able to watch this team and understand what the vision is. And I feel like we had that with Matarazzo, even when it wasn't working. And when we got on him about late substitutions, I feel like I had an idea of what it was he was trying to accomplish. I have no idea what Bruno wants his team to do.
0: I I know. And I think the takeaway I had from this match is, okay, we're going to play long ball. We're going to play route one, as they call it. And we're just going to try to get it down there. And I'm okay with that. If that's what we do, that's what we do. And if we can fine tune that, we become good at that. Okay. But, That's kind of the first time I've really seen that as a concerted strategy. And prior to that, it's kind of like, okay, we're going to sort of build from the middle. We're sometimes going to do long balls. Uh, We're going to do that. So if that's our strategy, okay, you know, let's, let's roll with it. But if you're
1: going to go with long balls, you've got to have a target man. We don't have a target man. And we like Jossie, maybe he's that guy, but when he's not on the field, what are you doing? Like I, I, my high school team, our strategy was long balls and we had nobody to get the long ball. And I can tell you how many games we won with that, (laughs) without putting any fingers up on any hands.
0: I think the biggest problem when this is all said and done, I wonder if Bruno wishes, because I certainly do, that when Jirasi went down, if he would have just gone down to the second team, the youth team and found the closest resemblance to a natural number nine, he could find, I know there's a kid down there who's relatively tall target guy and, and maybe he's young and maybe he's raw and maybe he's going to make mistakes, but I I would think that's a piece that you could put into play a little bit easier, almost like an NFL running back type of thing where you can kind of add it in without having to teach it too much. trying to do long balls. Okay. I'm fine with that. I don't, but doing long balls to Enzo Malo, who's five foot nine, I don't get it. But if you have a, even if he's a, U 21 kid, but he's six, four, six, six. And that's what he does. I think mm-hmm. you're going to have more results. And I, it's way too late for that now.
1: Try anything, right? Try something. Right. And if we've got that guy, the only issue with getting the, the kid from, from the reserves is that kind of assumes that we're playing a cohesive strategy across all Stuttgart teams. And uh. I don't know that we are so Mm. would we just be taking some 17 18 year old and saying please go save the season (laughs) and maybe it works and that dude becomes a
0: legend and
1: maybe it doesn't and it
0: destroys his career well especially because the guy who is coaching our youth team refuses to coach our senior team (laughs) So, so why don't we get into that now All right. So part three, we got all kinds of stuff going on. So I'm going to throw some at you pretty quick that don't really relate to us, but some that uh, do here in a bit. So we had the Classicer this weekend. I yawn emojis. I just, I don't care. It's dormant. If they're going to win the league, which I hope they do. It's because everybody else helped them win the league. It's not because of what they did.
1: Totally. And they should change the name from their Classicer to their massacre. <laughs> and I did not come up with that. I saw it on Twitter and loved it. But it's it's not a good, consistently good game. It's always fun to see when Dortmund can beat Bayern. It's fun to see that happen. But for what, what ESPN is advertising to the casual fan who's Bundesliga curious is that Bayern beats everybody all the time and that's it. And okay, that's... Sure, that happens, but that's not what the league is all about. They'd be way better off showing some mid-table matches. Show Freiburg playing Köln, right? That could be a fun game. Show Union Berlin playing absolutely anybody. They play a very unique, distinct style of soccer. Like, put somebody who's not Bayern on the freaking TV so that Americans understand there's more than one team in Germany.
0: I think Americans like two things, right? They like winners, so Bayern makes sense, but they like stories. And I think if you package a particular game the right way and you focused on what is unique about German football, which is the supporters, and you focused in on a stadium like Mercedes-Benz Arena that was loud all the time, I think that could be just ideal. Instead, we'll probably get Hoffenheim versus Wolfsburg. Next time, yeah. there'll be seven guys in the stands and all that stuff. I couldn't believe how long ESPN kept that coverage going, by the way. They yeah. kept interviewing until the stadium was empty. It was crazy. But anyway, so Derek Lassiker, you know, two guys who are in 18th place, we think you suck. So take, <laughs> take that. Boo. I yeah, listen to our opinions. Sven so Mislintat is on the verge of signing up with, and thank you for teaching me how to say this, Ajax in the – Well done. Yeah. in the is it the Dutch league or the Danish yep. league? Okay.
1: Uh, it's an area. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say it right. It doesn't. It's a Dutch league, I think.
0: <laughs> some, some Who cares? League. One of those. Right. So his signing with them is imminent. Um, so congratulations to him. Ajax is a perennial Champions League contender or a Champions League participant, I should say. Um, so the fact he's going there doesn't hurt us at all in any way possible. So any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I do actually have an interesting thought on this. So Ajax is consistently one of the teams in Europe that produces youth that go on and dominate at other clubs. And kids get loaned to Ajax to develop. And it, it's this—it's just this development powerhouse. And I don't think – and it's also well run because while they're doing this, they also do well in their own league and they compete and they play Champions League football – so I don't think it's a mistake that this club that is very well run, that is youth development focused, that is built on a model of bringing in unknown kids and building them up and selling them for huge profits, is hiring Sven Mislintat.
0: It like, does all add up, doesn't it? That's exactly Wait, the thing that's wild to me is that, and I don't really want to get into this, but the whole there is a camp of Stuttgart supporters who blame Sven Mislintat for the current troubles that we're going through saying that he built a squad that isn't Bundesliga ready. And we've made it very clear that we're team Sven. So we don't really buy into that argument. I can't buy into the argument that the current issues with the club are Sven's fault. Now the issues while he was here. Okay. I get it. I know there are problems with the squad. I, I totally on board with that, but, the team that is now on the pitch is running a system that is completely different than what has happened the previous thousand days or whatever. While Sven was yeah. here. So I, I just, I, I struggle with the argument that Sven is the one who screwed this up and that Bruno and company aren't responsible for it. I'm not saying it's not the players. I'm not saying Sven doesn't have, but I think his piece of the pie of blame is a little bit smaller than, than some of the other people here. So uh, I really don't want to get into that argument because it really doesn't help us too much at this point. But I really think what you said was poignant that everything that we love Sven about here seems to line up really well with what you're seeing Ajax does.
1: Yeah. And the the interesting thing to me is it doesn't matter who's commenting on the game. The commentators always say at the beginning, this Stuttgart team has too much talent to be this bad. They've got a good collection of players that they can't seem to get putting it together. So Sven brought in talent. Hey, are we missing a few pieces? Sure but are they being assembled
0: in a way that makes sense? Not at all. I think that's a key problem is that these guys, were, we were struggling the previous year and a half. Okay, let's not pretend that we weren't. But it was more, I just want to believe, and maybe that's is me being a homer. It was more bad luck, bad injuries, bad COVID. Whereas now we've got all that stuff and we have a system in place that isn't in tune to whatever strengths these guys have. And mm-hmm. if you want to argue that these guys don't have many strengths, or are not a cohesive unit, I'll listen to that. But I think at least with Sven, Reno, even Vimmer, there was at least cohesiveness. And even if they were lousy, there's a lot of teams in the Buddhist League that are lousy. But they have right. a sense of cohesiveness, and that helps them get to where they need to get. I'm looking at you, Bochum. I'm looking at you, Schalke. They're still in the fight right now. I'm looking at you, Cologne. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that's, you know, one of the issues we saw saw here. And one of the other issues we see, and I don't know how much we want to get into this because it deals with data scandals. It deals with the Valfe board. It deals with Klaus Vogt. <laughs> There's a rumor going around that uh, we're almost at data scandal 2.0. And the upper echelons of the board are using investigative techniques to figure out who is critical of the club and trying to reach out to them to sit down and talk to them, uh, you know, or call them out if you're more on the critical side here. So I don't know a ton about this. We asked our good friend, Adrian, you know, about this. And he gave us some, some info about the, the rumors that are flying around the club right now. And it's not good. It makes Klaus folk no. look bad. It makes the club look like it's focused on image rather than results on the pitch.
1: If Stuttgart wants to know who I am, they can ask. I'd be happy to tell them. Most of the people who are being critical of the team online are probably members and they have their name, address, and phone number. They want to know what people think. Send send a questionnaire out to the membership. See what you get back. Um, The the cloak and dagger stuff just feels dirty. Even if it's done in, in good conscience with the idea of being you know, we want to uh, reach out to our most enthusiastic supporters the people are talking about a lot who are hugely emotionally invested and we want to have conversations with them. Like That's all great, but the way that they're going about it sucks and it looks really, really bad.
0: Yeah, hopefully a lot of it is not true. It's just in light of all the bad stuff that's going on around the team right now, there seems to be some legs to it, which yikes. Yeah, you-
1: Given, given the history they have with this kind of stuff, it's reasonable
0: to draw bo- those lines, which is terrible again. Ricky Palm, who is very, I think, I don't know, I don't want to use the word beloved, but he is a podcaster in Stuttgart that ran the SDR podcast um, that is kind of on hiatus right now. But it looks like it's going to come back after this summer, which would be great. He's very respected by both sides of the aisle on on a number of these issues. And he came out and he was pretty open. He's like, listen, I voted for class vote twice. Um, I believed in what he said, and I believed in the platform that he ran on of openness and clarity, but I don't think I can vote for him again in light of everything that has gone on. And this goes back to something that I've said for a while is that these guys are super intelligent, successful businessmen and runners of clubs. And the way they communicate is like my 15 year old son. It just, I, what are you saying, and how are you saying it? it? As much as these are rumors and I don't want to believe them, I could 100% see it being all accurate.
1: Yeah, it's just the whole thing stinks. Yeah.
0: The nice thing is that the drama just isn't up in the board office, it's also on the pitch. So, another news and headline is that, uh, Silas, who has not had a great season by any means. He's been playing up front as our number nine, and it's just looked pretty bad. And I guess the Wolfsburg match was kind <laughs> of you know, the worst that this can be. His advisor was interviewed by Sky, one of the sports programs over in Europe, and he didn't mince too many words. So let me throw his quote at you. Quote: You can't set up Cilas Loss as a nine. You can't turn a baker into a butcher, which is, by the way, a fantastic comparison. That's glorious, glorious line. Yeah. Although I don't like how he is pigeonholing bakers. That's true. You know what? I'm on Bruno's side now. (laughs) that. All right. Well, he goes on and continues. He goes, quote, Bruno Labbadia has a reputation for rescuing teams. He's a firefighter and has done that very, very well in his previous positions. But at Valp, he seems to have let his fire engine at home, end quote. (laughs) Oh, my. Uh, Silas did not make the trip to Union Berlin because of, quote, muscular problems, end quote. Uh, he did get to play for his uh, for I believe Congo in the international break. So it could be very well true. I do believe it's true. I heard he you know he had some muscular problems there. Um that's not great.
1: No, not not great at all. And we especially after Silas just signed an extension.
0: I know that's right. Not that he he's not angling for a deal to another club at the end of two years. He's with us.
1: So clearly something has happened between the negotiation and the signing of that extension and now. And I agree with Silas' advisor. He's not a number nine. I do kind of like the idea of him playing in that area with a more of a, like, just run around and see what you can make happen. But yeah, and you... You can't turn a baker into a butcher. Bakers can cook other things. They can do more than just bake, um, but they're probably not going to take a cow and turn it into a bunch of usable meat. And on the flip side, I bet a butcher would not make a tasty cake. Um, I I love the line. I love the sentiment. Um, I hate that this is a
0: thing that's happening. I think it's a thing that's happening is because the sharks are in the water. Everybody, I think, knows Bruno's Either going to be gone soon or is going to be gone at some point. I don't think you make these comments if you know the coach is gonna be there for a while.
1: Yeah. And his you mentioned this on, on Twitter, his body language and the the way he was uh behaving, the people he was talking to after the game. It yeah, he was doing the the ousted coach shuffle, which is not a great look. And especially we've got him signed for another two years. How many <laughs> Coaches that don't work for Stuttgart are being paid from Mercedes-Benz Straße right now. Oh, like, boy. this is outrageous.
0: Let's jump into that. So Bruno, after the match, did not go to the away supporters. He instead hung out near midfield and he talked to union Berlin staff and players. I didn't see him talk to many people. When he walked off the field, he and Volgamut did kind of the old shoulder tap, but there was no words really spoken. Uh, Volgamut gave him the dreaded guarantee. After the Wolfsburg match, but after this match, he's like, well, you know, we have to wait and see, you know, we're not going to sit here idly and watch the world go down was his quote reports indicated immediately after that match from sky from build, which isn't too reputable, but from kicker, which is from the sugar, not written, which is that Bruno was gone, that there had been an emergency meeting between the board and the sporting department after the Wolfsburg match. And they agreed, okay. Let's give him the international break to get things together. And there was another emergency meeting Sunday. So as we record this, it's Sunday. So today, Bruno ran practice today, and there, based on all the reports that I read, he was very professional. He was very somber, though, and he was just much a little bit more uh, resigned. And so the body language. There was a really great picture of him on all the newspapers of him looking at his clock, his watch during practice. And the obvious meme is, you know, how long do I have to be here before you get rid of me? Like you said, the body language was awful after the match. The The Sunday information coming out is, is ridiculous. I don't know where this is going. Bruno doesn't know where this is going. It sounds like they want to get rid of him, but. Help me understand what's happening.
1: I, I wish I knew. It seems it seems like he doesn't want to be there. It's sounding more and more like the players don't want him there. Um, that the the circus that is the front office is realizing that this was a bad idea. Um, and that everybody's gonna be looking for a graceful exit. And I think the only way that a graceful exit occurs is if Bruno goes, Yeah, yeah, this wasn't this wasn't a good idea. I'm going to go and you guys can just stop paying me at the end of the month.
0: And that that gets into what you just said earlier is that we gave him a contract until 2025. And so we're going to pay him for a while. So unless he takes one for the team, who can ballot be afford? So this gets into our next topic, which is upper man. So Sammy Kadira, the thought is, is one of the reasons they haven't been able to make a decision on who Bruno's replacement is going to be is two things. One, can we afford to get rid of Bruno? Which is an amazing reason to do it, you know, yeah. any decision. The second was, uh, can we find anybody to replace Bruno? Which goes to one of the questions you always ask. Okay, if we get rid of this guy, all right, who's next? But the other reason is because everybody's out of town. Sammy Kadira was in Cologne for the Derby with Gladbach. Philip Lahm was in Munich for the Klassiker on Saturday. Nobody was in town, so one of the stories going around is that they couldn't get the brain uh, team together to make a decision, which goes to my issue with Volgamu. You're the director of sport. This is your job. At the end of the day, you're the one who has to make the big decisions here, and you could argue that one of the reasons Sven is gone is he wasn't willing to pull the plug on Reno early enough. Maybe that would have won him some some praise in the upper office, or at least some credibility with, with them. Mm-hmm. That's worth. You're the sporting director of one of the most traditional clubs on the planet, and you look you look like you're a puppet. Why do you need Sammy Kadir's advice or Philip Lom's advice? Those guys, what have they done? The second thing is Volkmund says if you evaluate the overall situation, we had three coaches all with a very different profile. That means we won't find the sole culprit. Uh, So he's basically saying it's not the coaching, it's the players. And so I love that he's calling the players out every chance he gets because I'm sure that helps uh, quite a bit. I don't know what Volgamut is doing, what upper management is doing. They took weeks to replace Reno when he was gone. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised. they are taking weeks. I shouldn't say weeks. They're taking hours and days to figure out what's going to happen with Bruno. And oh, by the way, we've got a match on Wednesday and Sunday.
1: That's as frustrating as anything.
0: It's hard to believe they didn't have a plan C, B, whatever it would be. What plan are we on in now? D? I don't know where we're at. but
1: We're further down the plans than uh, a Ferrari racing
0: strategist, which anybody who watches F1 will think that's hilarious. I wonder what our F1 demographic fan base is, because... <laughs> Ferrari's red, maybe they'll sponsor us. That would be the shocker. <laughs> Suck it, Rosolium. <laughs> we don't need you anymore.
1: I, Ferrari and F1 are doing about as well as Alfa are in Bundesliga this year. So there's there's some synergy
0: options. <laughs> they need us more than we need them. I don't. Yeah. I, so I'm not sure where this is going to go because I don't think they know where this is going to go. And I will say, in their defense, one of the problems could simply be. There's no money. They can't hire anybody. The other problem could be that there are so many coaches that just don't want to touch this. That was the other thing that was interesting today as the news was breaking out is that Gisdall, who used to coach here, uh, who a lot of Valfi supporters were dead set against, said, you know what? I'm not interested in you guys. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, ouch. Uh, everybody's favorite buddy, Felix Magat, uh, he's apparently not on Valpe's radar. Villig like, doesn't want to coach here. He's leaving once his contract runs out at the end of this season. Slayer 1893 had a great no sleep till gizdall line, which I very <laughs> much loved on, on Twitter. That was awesome. Uh, so it could be a combination of we've got no money, right? So we have to be very careful what we do. Right. Nobody wants to touch with eight matches left what looks like a dumpster fire and put that on their, their resume. But it could also be that we're waiting and we're waiting. And we're waiting Yeah, and we're waiting. And you're just like, at what point does Christian Gettner put on a uniform and become the player coach again? It, it, somebody, somebody put out there is like, we should just put them out there with no coach. Why not?
1: How much worse is it going to get? Let Endo do it. I trust Endo over most of these other
0: Yahoos we're talking about. That's actually not a terrible, that's not a terrible answer, which means we're moving on to some questions here. All right, Matt, we got some questions. DC Win- Vineman Vin- Vin- Vin asks, when Valpy goes down, who will stay and who will leave? Uh, Timothy followed up with, going down in the second league will mean selling off decent players we have. Who could possibly get to replace them and make sure that Valpy doesn't stay down in the second league forever? I have no idea who we would get, but I do like the question of who we're going to lose. Uh, off the top of your head right away. Uh,
1: Mavropanos is gone. Anton's probably gone just because he doesn't want to put up with it. I, want, I was going to say Ito, but uh, Ito might – like, I could see Ito and Endo staying. Just – I don't know. why. just got a feeling. But either of those two would be hot commodities elsewhere in the league for um, mid-table or better teams. Uh, I, I don't know. I think we're going to end up with a motley crew of guys that we're looking at going, Ugh. <laughs> How's this going to work?
0: 11 Philip Forsters running around with excellent mustaches <laughs> all over the pitch.
1: You know, and who could we get? Maybe we could get Simone Tarota back to come back and be a, a Duke Bundesliga golden God for a season and help.
0: I He is the, the elixir to every second division problem. <laughs> I think almost everybody's gone. Uh, Dino is for sure gone in my mind I think Ito is for sure gone uh, Borna Sosa, gone Oh yeah, Sosa's gone uh, Tiago Tomas and Saru Jirasi are on loans, So they are going to be gone. gone We were thinking about buying Jirasi But we won't be able to afford him So he's gone Zagadu is interesting He's going to be one of the highest paid players in the second division Because he's making somewhere like $3, 3500000 million dollars. I don't know if we can unload him at that point I think Florian Mueller will be gone Which, whatever, he's our backup goalie I would not be surprised if Silas heads out the door. I, I think you're going to like you said you're going to see the Ottakarizor Pascal Stenzel show in the second division. Luca Fiverr? maybe he'll reemerge a bit.
1: On some level I think going to the second division could be really good for us because it could give some of these guys who aren't Bundesliga ready time to marinate <laughs> <laughs> or some of these guys who have been struggling a little bit of breathing room to show off and build some confidence. Um, Pfeiffer might be that guy. If Stenzel stays, he could probably hold his own in the second division where he can't in the first. So, cool. Terazor is fine. Terazor has been um, one of the few consistent performers for us. And he's not lighting the world on fire by any means, but he's a decent uh, defensive mid. I've got no issue with Parazor. So if he stayed, I think that would be a win for us, really. But yeah, I I don't know. I don't know who we could bring in. And I think anybody who we think, gosh, it'd be nice if he stayed around is probably halfway up the door already.
0: Yeah, I think Anton is interesting. I think he would stay. I don't know what his market level is. I think Endo would leave. He's at the upper end of what is he 30 31 at this point um, that's a good point yeah i think he might want to try to find greener pastures and it could be a youth movement again as as you said on the last episode kind of phoenix rising from the ashes here so uh, to answer your guys' question, Timothy and DC, I think everybody's gone from this club. Um, this go, Timothy then asked, you know, maybe Valpi should just demote all the first team players right now and bring up the second team. Maybe they'll play with some heart and soul. And I do want to get into this for a second. I don't think these guys have lost their heart. I I, I think they are trying. I think they, they do care. Um, they face the away supporters. I'm like Bruno this time. I just I think it's what you said really well is that you've just got so much so many guys that are in and out playing positions are not super familiar with there's no connectivity and as soon as one thing goes bad everything goes bad
1: yeah and i i think there is a little bit of fatalism on the team they had uh, their leader taken away from them um who as bad as the results were they all seemed to believe in reno and believe in his vision and then Sven, and those two guys were unceremoniously dumped and then they had a bunch of yahoos thrust on them and labadia came in and started waving a stick around and nobody knows what the heck he's talking about yeah. and i they're playing hard but also there is a point in the match where it's kind of like they look up at the scoreboard and go oh this is over
0: and i don't really blame them for it yeah color commentator next to Derek Ray mentioned that Stewart played well in the first half. Bruno is right. You know, they did play well. Say what you yeah. want, well. you know, Union maybe absorbing the pressure, but we did have a good first half, but he mentioned the end of the game is the problem. And one of the issues for the club now is, is that you're putting in all this work and all this effort and you are seeing some positive results, but you're getting no finished product for it. And that weighs on these guys as you know, the season carries on. So, I don't I don't know. I don't think they've lost their will to try. It's just everything is kind of piling on them. We did have some poetic comments. Why does this still hurt? And somebody who claims not to be you said, How many roads must a man walk down? Matt, poetry is boy. Now my favorite. Steve, if I if I had a beret, I would put it on right now. <laughs> David asks if Bruno and Valve do part ways can we get a double bump from the new manager since he didn't get one with Bruno? I like that. Maybe that's, we can I, put that into the contract.
1: <laughs> I feel like it's karma that we have to, we're, we are overdue a manager bump. So maybe if we brought a new one in in let's say a week and a half, we get enough of a new manager bump to ride us into the end of the season.
0: That would be fantastic. If we did get the new manager, here's the next question. Uh, nobody gave us a name for this, but middle kind of asked a similar question is, if they do let Bruno go in the next 24 hours, what would you expect the new coach to do to avoid relegation? Is there a magic elixir out there that you think could solve some of these problems?
1: I think a, a honest-to-goodness defensive focus, playing people in their positions and not where you think they should play. Um, getting way more compact and just accepting the fact that you're going to try and win a game one to nothing and play true counterattacking football i'm not sure what this football is that we're trying to play right now but it's not a counterattacking game and i think that's the only way we get some points and stay up.
0: i have this weird theory that the score would have been worse if borna Sosa was in the match Because Borna's just not your classic left back. He's more that left wing back type of player. Yeah. And with Ito in there, he's more defensively oriented. So I think he helped protect Zagadu a little bit on on that side. Where I'll agree with you is I just want somebody to come in who's going to play to these guys' strengths, whatever those strengths might be. Uh, You have played sport, and I have coached sport. And there are times where you coach – Or play as a delicate flower, (laughs) and that nobody wants to hear that. We're all supposed to be, you know, super gritty and tough. But there's a different psychology involved for some athletes, and I think the guys on the club are somewhat delicate flowers in a way. And I saw Dan Axel Zagadu in person. I would never call him a delicate flower to his face because he's a huge (laughs) human being. But I think these guys need to be talked up, and they need to be patted on the back, and they need to be scolded in person one-on-one rather than in the public or in a, you know, press conference. Yeah. Uh, I just want somebody to play these, these guys strengths. And I think it's a three, five, three, four, some kind of combination of that. And if we're going to go down, let's just go down our way. And that's kind of what one of the next comments were was, here's what I want for the rest of the season. Fire Bruno and let chaos rain. If we're going to go to the second bonus league, let's make it fun. It won't be fun with Bruno calling the shots. Um, and that's kind of what I say at this this point. Let's just go for it. Whatever it is, we do well, and there's not a lot of it, so it should be easy to find. Just <laughs> do that.
1: I I am by my nature generally an anti-chaos person, um, but I kind of like this idea. Like, let's just try some weird stuff, see what happens. It beats whatever it is this thing is that's currently happening.
0: I like your idea of having Endo be the coach and just pulling all the guys together and be like, all right, what do you want to do? Um, what we've
1: been doing isn't working. What else?
0: I, I like this question from uh, apprehensive Viking. I like how Flabby Viking continues to change his descriptor <laughs> all the time. Well, he's apprehensive right now. He said, and this is actually a great question besides the goalie switch. Is there anything positive at all to be taken from Bruno 2.0? Um, no. I mean, I don't, I, here's the thing. I think where some people are starting to get put off is they're like, listen, it's not all Bruno's fault. You know, the players need to take responsibility. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. But I think we just hit on why we think it's Bruno's fault. He's playing guys in positions that aren't their natural position. I'm trying to think when Flabby asked this question, uh, the goalkeeping situation really worked out with him. Red only had one howler, you know, so far. Yeah. Outside of that, I can't think. I mean, Jirazi was playing well under him, so maybe making him the focal point, but he was playing well before Bruno showed up.
1: I don't know that we can get to a like, this is our dude and he's gonna save us. Hey, we we need we need a system that sucks less. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I don't know. The, the goalie switch was definitely a positive. Um, the Jurosi development has been great, but I feel like those are aberrations in a team that has
0: largely fallen off and gotten worse since Lavadia showed up. I was going to go with Genki Haraguchi and Gil Diaz, but Gil Dias has leveled off.
1: Yeah, I- Haraguchi is a good one too. But again, these are
0: they're outliers. Flabby then threw in a number of expletives about upper management. That, <laughs> Flabby, we appreciate your commentary. We're uh, Matt and I both appreciate our job, so we're not going to coach any of that stuff. But just rest assured, apprehensive Viking is also angry Viking and not happy with uh, what's happening with the upper management. The last comment we got was that Travis's new microphone is sweet. Um, that's what she said, or he said? Hey. Hey, whatever your pronoun is, thank you for saying yeah. it, I appreciate you know I did break down and purchase a sound machine so this could be the Travis and Matt 1980s sound machine if like (laughs) I can't figure out where the chords go so I don't know if I'll ever be able to use. It's
1: going to turn into a, a beatbox looping nightmare at some point when you do figure out how to use it and they're playing with it during a recording.
0: You and I can start to do those rap battles together I think. I love that idea, and it will be (laughs) awful. (laughs) We're going to move on to part five, which is also going to be awful, which is predictions as we get into the upcoming matches. So here we go, Matt. We are eight draws and 15 losses since december on the road and our next two matches are on the road if you were wondering the all-time record is 38 winless matches on the road by this year's Shalka club by the way so guys you got some work to do if you're gonna if you're gonna beat that record which the way things are going i think we've got a pretty good shot of it um Wednesday, we're at Nuremberg. Now, they're coached by Ray Liotta, lookalike, Dieter Hecking now, which I don't know if you've seen uh, the late, great Ray Liotta's final film, Cocaine Bear. I have not seen Cocaine Bear. Neither have I. So it's got mixed reviews, but I'm just glad that Ray Liotta's final film was Cocaine Bear Bear running around, I believe, Tennessee. Uh, Well, high on cocaine. So there you go. This one is in Tennessee. (laughs) So, <laughs> they beat Dusseldorf to get to this point. They are 2-1-2 and two in their last five since he took over. They're 13th on the table. But they're only three points above the drop zone in the second league. We are 7-4-3 in our last 14 matches against them. The last match, I remember this one, was a 6 to nothing win on the road in the second Bundesliga when we needed some wins to get up to promotion status. Ana Karazor had two goals. Nico Gonzalez. Oh, remember
1: Nico had two oh, goals. Nico.
0: Silas had a goal. Kalajic had a goal. Um, So that's who we're going up against. The other matchups are small clubs like Leipzig versus Dortmund, Frankfurt versus Union, and then Bayern versus Freiburg. We're in the quarters, Matt. If we win this match, we get $2 bucks.
1: That is potentially life-saving for this club, which is horribly sad.
0: <laughs> it's crazy. I was thinking about this. Bruno's record in the Pokal is amazing. I I, I forget what it is right now, but it's it's like 75% winning percentage. Is Part of their thought process is, let's just keep some of this Bruno magic going because we should beat Nuremberg in theory, right? Bruno has a great Pokal record. They're going to play Bochum and we should perform at least eye level with Bochum, which hurts me that I just said eye level with Bochum. I, mean, I wonder if part of them is like, listen, we need that $2 bucks so bad that let's keep Bruno around. And then the other part of me is like, well, if they win that match, that means they could probably fire Bruno and pay him <laughs> so he walks away. So I don't know which side of the story I should go with.
1: I, boy, I, I love the idea of there being rationale here, but I don't trust the people in charge have any rationale to their, their thinking. Um, I think Nuremberg uh, is ripe for the picking. We did just beat Heidenheim in a friendly, who are second in that league. And Nuremberg weighed on at 13th with a minus 16 goal differential, not great. And um, their last five was win loss, win draw loss. So it's not like they're streaking upwards it would be kind of embarrassing if we lost this game so we might lose it just because that's how the season's gone in all reality this is a this is the game we should win uh if bruno has any sense of getting this ship righted it's gotta start on wednesday
0: yeah we've talked about this before you and i love the pocal it's a great chance for clubs like ours to have a chance to to get a trophy and who knows maybe there's some upsets there i mean freiburg maybe you can pull one over a Bayern. like if you get past this match all of a sudden you're in the semis and maybe there's a another you know lucky matchup for you so i'm super excited for this one on wednesday who do you think is the favorite in this one and then what do you think the score is going to be
1: I think Stuttgart's the favorite, probably by a
0: goal, and I'll say two on us. Yeah, it's half a goal for this one for the traveling team, which you usually don't see. I'm going to be optimistic on this one, too. I think we're going to get a clean sheet. I think it's going to be a two-nothing, three-nothing. I do love the fact that you said we are totally ready for this match because we just beat high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to both take Stuttgart in that one, and then... Sunday, we play at Bochum. So two road matches in a row. Again, we haven't won on the road since I think Matt and I were in diapers. It's been so, so long. They're 14th on the table, but they've got 26 points. They just got a draw versus Eintracht Frankfurt. Their goal difference is nuts, though. It's like almost minus 30. They had a five-match losing streak where they gave up 12 goals and only scored one, but they've earned seven points in their last three including a win over Leipzig, who is supposed to be, you know, good. Um, They're an interesting club because they've got Union Berlin after us, Wolfsburg, Dortmund, Gladbach, which you would think would be four rough matches in a row. Then they've got Augsburg, which is a tough club to figure out. And then they've got Hertha before wrapping up with Bayer Leverkusen. Thoughts on Bochum, thoughts on old buddy Forster in this one. uh, Thoughts on how you think we'll do.
1: I think Bochum's going to be looking at this game with us as their must win for the month of April. Um, But they also might be riding a little high and feeling a little bit too good about themselves right now and looking at us being at the bottom of the table and saying, well, we can take that Saturday off. So it's, it's a chance, just like the Wednesday game. It's a game that we could win, that we arguably should win. Um, And it could be the stage if we could win Wednesday. And then again, on. I keep saying Saturday, is it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. 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 So if we could win Wednesday and Sunday, that could start a platform to start building something off of which Bruno desperately needs and this club desperately
0: needs. I have a ridiculous level of optimism going into these two matches. And I think it's simply ties into what you said earlier. I really think this club is ready for the second division. And we beat Heidenheim. We are playing Nuremberg, a second-tier club. Bochum is basically a second-tier club. No offense to Bochum. It's awesome what they've done. And and hats off to them. I think that's our wheelhouse. And I, I really like our chances to break the away loss record against Bochum and to advance to the semis against Nuremberg. Uh, the spread in the second one against Bochum is Valpi on the road, but they're minus half a goal. What do you think the score is going to be in that one?
1: I could see another 2-1. I just I, – I believe in Bredlow. Um, he's been really solid for us. I don't have faith in the defense in front of him, and so I think clean sheets are going to be hard to come by. Um, I think we've got the the speed up front to potentially – Punish these teams that maybe don't play defense as well. And I haven't watched Bochum at all this year, but with a minus twenty nine goal differential, I'm going to say they don't play defense very well. <laughs> um, so it the the potential is there for this to be a really good week for Stuttgart.
0: I I agree with this, and I think the key to this, and this is yet another episode that's been you know a little bit dark. In fact, Flabby Viking offered up a hamburg based kind of i believe it was metal band I, I listened to it for a minute um and it was the title of the song was something about darkness and going down well dark areas <laughs> <and> <laughs> to do our bump music and i was like i think i might do the bump music but then i don't want to get sued and i'm pretty sure that germans yeah. hate privacy uh violations and uh so i'm, I'm gonna stay away with that but Flavi, thanks again for the advice on that I, i'm just very optimistic about these two matches, and I, I think is Seiru is back. It, it's crazy that a journeyman striker from France who failed in his first trip to the Bundesliga is our season, but he played 30 really strong minutes against Union. It looks like he's going to be back against Nürnberg to get some match uh, time in, and if he's healthy going to that Boca match, I, just, I think everything's going to align, and I think I really like our our chances with that. And it all goes back to Seru being able to implement whatever the heck it is Bruno's trying to do or Bruno's replacement, whoever that might be at that point. Hey, as we record this, Bruno, you're still in, uh, you're still in charge.
1: Your has been our best offensive weapon by some stretch. So if he's back and he's healthy and he's able to be 90% himself, I think we've got a decent chance against – Two teams that have not been great this year.
0: Not been great is kind of the theme of this program, this episode here. We're gonna wrap it up with uh, yet another drama-filled program. Any last thoughts before we uh, head into what is going to be another big week for the club?
1: I'm. I don't know that I'm at the optimistic place you are, but I'm gonna work on getting there. I'm very hopeful. Um, I think this could be could be a launch point for. Uh, less failure, which should <laughs> be really nice. At this point, I'm more curious about the drama in the front office than I am anything else with this team, which really uh, says something about something. So I'm um, I'm hopeful we we can extend this dream run the Pocal and that we don't get embarrassed uh, against
0: Bochum and can start building towards something more positive. I really like the way you phrased that. And I do want to end on this then because I think you did hit on something big that I put on Twitter is what is your level of grieving at this point? You know, are you at frustration, anger, uh, denial, acceptance? Um, there's the five stages.
1: Travis, I've been following this club for about 12 years now. I'm in full on acceptance mode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, I accepted this episode is over Matt. Thanks so much for joining us this time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks Travis.